Scene one, Apple, take one. Okay, we're now synced. <laughs> I distracted myself. Hi everyone, I'm Shane Borza and welcome to another episode of Film Notes. I'm really excited. This is my first live episode shot in the studio at Monster Sound and Picture here in Las Vegas. My special guest is my friend John McLean. That's right. But I had the name first. It's true. And we'll get to that. He is the founder of Monster Sound and Picture and he's an audio engineer. So we're going to talk all things studio, audio, mixing, engineering, and the like. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. It's good to be here. I wanted to start off by just asking, how did you become an audio engineer and or founding your own company? I became an audio engineer because, uh, honestly, it's because I see the world through sound. Ever since I was a kid, I can recall a distinct moment when I was about 10 years old and I was running up the stairs in my house in Northern Virginia and the way that the the lawnmower sound came in through the open windows and the sounds of my friends outside playing and the birds. And that was sort of the moment that I realized that unlike most people who approach the world visually, I approach the world sonically first. Then my father, who was an officer in the Marine Corps, uh, went to Okinawa for a year unaccompanied, so without the family. And so he bought two matching reel-to-reel -reel tape recorders. And he would record himself talking to us, send the tapes, and we would record and send them back. And I got in the habit of going around the house and recording things in the house and sending them to my dad with my narration over the top of them about whatever it was. And then fast forward, I was a sophomore in high school. We were at stationed at Fort Knox, and the high school had a radio and television station. And you had to be a junior to be in the program. But every year on career day, I would hang out there all day. I wouldn't go to any of the other career day functions that they had. And then the summer of my sophomore year, we got transferred out of there, and I never got to go there. We got transferred to Detroit, Michigan. And once I finished high school, I went to college at the University of Nevada for about a year and a half. Wasn't really digging it. Went back to Michigan where my folks were still stationed. Met my wife. My folks got transferred to Japan. I hung out there. Got a job being a runner for an ad agency, which led me to a recording studio in suburban Detroit called Ron Rose Productions. And I just kind of camped out on their doorstep till they got tired of tripping over me. And they hired me to uh, make copies of spots to go out via FedEx and to sweep floors. And I just worked my way up from there. So literally from the ground floor? From the ground floor with a broom in my hand. Absolutely. So it sounds like you knew pretty early, like, audio something. Well, I knew that I was driven by, I, I knew I liked sound, right? But I didn't know that that was a career path or anything until, you know, I got aware enough about radio. And then I thought, oh, I'll be a DJ or whatever, right? Thank God I didn't go into radio because that is a mess these days. Yes. The recording studio was just the bomb. I just... I was giddy to be in there. And on the weekends, they would allow us to go in and practice or play or whatever. So a bunch of us would record music in the studio on weekends and mix it. And we had this one guy, 
uh, Dean Mounts. He was a great engineer. And fun fact, he recorded the second MC5 album way back in the day. So he would come in on Monday mornings and he'd come in back into our dub room and he'd say, man, what were you guys doing this weekend? And he's, he'd have us come in when he had a break and we'd play him some of the music and he'd show us a better way to do it. And so he really started mentoring us early. And it was just a fantastic place to learn and grow. Now, let's step back a minute. Can you explain a couple of these things? So when I say like audio engineer, I know what I mean. But mm -hmm. in case people are watching this and they don't know what that means, what does an audio engineer do? And are there any kind of supporting or peripheral roles kind of within audio that might be helpful to like explain the difference between like, you know, this person, this person, this person. Yeah, like audio that. engineer is kind of a, a catch-all term for somebody who does audio, whether it's music or post-audio. I suppose they came up with the term audio engineer because way back when they wore white coats and they turned big knobs and aligned tape machines and whatnot. Um, really these days, uh, the term mixer or sound designer is probably more appropriate. Sound design meaning that we create a sonic landscape. Like I'm working on your film right now and you and I discussed like the winds when you're up on the wall. So I'm creating winds and backgrounds for the film. So we call that sound design and mixer because, you know, once all the pieces and parts are put together, the multiple tracks of dialogue and sound effects and Foley and ADR and whatever, then it all gets mixed together to whatever the delivery format is. And we met actually because my wife had you come over and work with her on setting up her own recording studio because she does voiceover. Right. So talk to me about some of these other kind of peripheral worlds that you're in, you know, helping <laughs> with voiceover, helping with music, helping with film stuff. You know, sure. You're doing a so, lot of kind of hats. So in my world, we hire a voice talent and they read clients copy. Years ago, I got into helping voice talent set up their home studios because almost every voice talent has a home studio these days. The days of going into a studio like Monster are pretty much dead. We still have a few talent that come in, but not many. And so they, you know, they need to learn how to work a microphone and an interface and edit their voice and whatnot. On behalf of a place here in town called the Voice Actor Studio, I teach tech to voice talents. I teach tech classes and editing and cleanup and how to set up your studio and best places to put your studio, all those kind of fun things. I want to jump back. I know we're going all over the place. That's totally cool. But you mentioned people aren't kind of coming here to the studio. So what does the studio provide? Like what services do you have? What do you find people come in for? And how do you either run it or uh, kind of fit in with it? Well, the studio provides all kinds of services. Originally, I started the company in 2003 and it was called Dog and Pony Studios. Or actually, it was called the Dog and Pony Show. And... Uh, and then about a year ago, I took on two partners. We changed the name to Monster Sound and Picture. And now we offer soup to nuts. We'll crew out a shoot for you. Um, we'll do the edit and the video post-production and of course the audio post-production and we'll do the production audio too. But as far as services on the audio side for post-production, uh, we do everything from casting voice talent for clients to um, helping them choose music or scoring music for them if they've got that budget, um, putting all the pieces together, cleaning it, cleaning it up and mixing it. Everything from 
um, binaural surround sound audio on headphones to 5.1 surround sound and hopefully soon we'll upgrade to an Atmos situation. That's something that I can, as you mentioned, because we're working on post on, on a feature that I'm doing, that I am starting to learn more about, not only from like, what are the options in post-production? What do I need? What, you know, what do we need to make decisions on? But also, and we've talked about this many times, like things to know ahead of time. Things to know ahead of time. So as a show called Film Notes, like what are some notes that you might want people to know? Things that you might wish you had been able to tell them so that when well, they I, give you stuff, it's set up maybe better or easier for you to you know, provide them what they want. So I love working on independent film production. And especially documentaries, it's it's amazing work. I, I don't know, it, it fills me, it fills my soul. It's killer. But something that I wish every independent filmmaker would realize is that you can cut around bad picture, but you can't cut around bad sound. Sound is vitally important, and the people who do production audio are specialists in their field. You can't just grab a person who you know who likes to work on film and make them the audio person because your audio is almost guaranteed to be terrible then. And then all of your budget is going to be spent on doing ADR or reshooting in an attempt to fix that. Bad sound won't be listened to by people. They'll just turn your media off if the sound is terrible. I would encourage all independent filmmakers to listen to what's going on. If there's a refrigerator running in the background of your shot and there are microphones open in the room, you're going to record the refrigerator. I don't care if somebody tells you that you're, it's not going to get recorded. It's going to get recorded. It's there. So that's, I guess the main thing would be to just grab a set of headphones, put them on and listen to what the microphone's listening to. Your, your brain has this little spot at the bottom of the skull. And I can't remember what this section of the brain is called, but basically its job is to keep you on task. And so what it does is it filters out things that distract you. So if you're a director and you're on set and you're getting the light set up and this set up and that set up, and you just kind of give sort of a cursory moment to listen to the room, your brain's gonna filter out that refrigerator because that's not the task that you're on at the moment. But the microphone doesn't have that. So if you put on headphones and listen through that microphone while everybody's quiet, you're going to hear all the noise of the room that's going to be picked up by your microphone. That's a great tip. And it's funny, I have worked on sets and seen it work both ways where the audio person, no one pays any attention. And as, as we've talked earlier, like the look of the shot was what the director or the cinematographer wanted, and they got that. And the sound person will sometimes go, but there is a plane and they go moving on. But I've also had people def defer. And this is usually like you were talking about younger people and experienced people and that they know enough to hire a quality sound person. And they'll and I've seen people do this the whole they're like and cut. <laughs> Everybody turns to the sound person right. who then approves it because they're the only one with the headphones on usually. Mm -hmm. So they're the only ones that know. And it can be annoying sometimes to be like, oh, there's a truck, oh, there's a motorcycle, or what have you, but it saves you, it's like 10x later. Absolutely, and, and, and the idea isn't that you continually reshoot because 
there was something in the sound. Especially if you're, you know, shooting out in the wild, you know, whether urban or really out in the wild, there's always going to be background sound. You just mitigate it as best you can. If there's an airplane flying overhead every 30 seconds, then just record a full airplane. And now you've got an airplane for your fill later in the film when part of the airplane disappears because you cut the dialogue together the way you want them. You put the airplane over the top and you're, you know, you're relatively good to go. But it, there has to be enough give and take from both sides. Audio has to be skilled enough and aware enough to know when it's okay to say yay to the tape. And it's not like something so egregious that you really should get it again. And conversely, like you said, the director has to have hired a skilled sound person and allow them to speak up about what's going on. And if you really want to make a great film, bring the sound person in prior to shooting a single piece of audio. In fact, bring your post-production sound team in and start talking about the locations and how you can better mitigate sound problems on those locations before you ever show up. That two or three hour meeting will save you tons of time on set and in post-production. And who knows, they, they might make a suggestion that saves you half a day of shooting. You know, that, that would be incredible from your standpoint, right? Yes. Yeah, time is money. One of the biggest lessons and most important things I go back to all the time, I had a producer tell me, if you kill yourself in pre-production, your production will be easy. And so that's exactly the type of thing. They're like, take the time. Absolutely. They're like, all you need is like, if you need to pay the DP for the day, bring him around and walk through all the locations because mm -hmm. they'll be able to tell you like this works or it doesn't or you're, oh, we could shoot it like this. And uh, I never had anyone suggest to bring the sound people as well, but that makes all the sense in the world because if you can bring a department head, even two people or for three hours, okay, that might be a $1,000 day, but that saves you an extra $10,000 day with the entire cast and crew. There's a production company here in town that I work with on commercial work, casino work and whatnot. And we just did a job about a year ago where they took me through three different locations they were looking at shooting at. And we wandered through and I had a headphone and a micro headphones and a microphone and a recorder and we recorded the space and we counted the reverb in the space and we just figured out which of the spaces would work well and which of the spaces wouldn't and what were the problems to look out for. And it I, I would imagine they saved quite a bit of time in production because they'd laid it all out beforehand. So let's pick up on that. You mentioned you love documentaries and then now you're talking about kind of going out and doing kind of pre-work. So do you have a favorite thing? Would you rather be here in the studio? Would you rather be on set? Do you want to do both? Is it nice, <laughs> is it nice to have the change? Like, where do you lean yeah, now? I don't, I have gone out and done production sound for independent film because I wanted to understand that side of it. But no, I, d I don't want to do that. That's a hard job. It's a really tough job. And I like working in an air-conditioned space where all my stuff is plugged in in the same spot every single day and all I got to do is turn it on. I partially joke. I like the post-production side. I like taking all of the different ingredients and putting them together and working hand in hand with the director and getting really down into the meat of it. And, you know, there's this back and forth, there's this creative energy in the room. It's like, well, what if we did this? What if we lose this and add this and put this here and move this around? And 
That's that's my jam. That's that's what I wake up for. Especially here in Vegas when it's like triple digits half the year. Yeah, you know, it's a dry heat. It's <laughs> which I always used to think was BS, but it's true. It's actually true. Yeah. yeah. I was home in New York last summer and it was 95 degrees and I thought I was going to die. And it came here back to Vegas and it was 20 degrees hotter and it felt cooler. It does, yes. So we talked about the studio and you had moved from your original company to now you have kind of a, a bigger company with partners and things. So with the idea of upping some of the things like having Atmos come in, what else is on the horizon? Like where's the future either for you or the company? What's the next step? Well, one of the areas we're having a lot of fun playing in right now is virtual tours, 360-degree camera and audio to match. It's an immersive space. Right now, um, we're just playing around with uh, 2D augmented reality on the picture side. So, you know, you've got the, the picture in front of you, and you can spin it with your finger and see all inside the space. Um, but within that there are like little info buttons all over whatever it is let's say it's a tour of a, a high-end sports car and so for instance you could touch the info button on the start button and in your earbuds in but binaural sound if your audience isn't familiar with binaural binaural is a a way of delivering a 360 degree audio experience on two channels of audio so uh you could press that button and in your your AirPods or whatever, you would hear the engine start up, but it would sound like you're inside the car. And then as you move the car, like say you move from the windshield to the passenger's window, the sound of the audio would change. It would track with the picture just like it would if you turned your head to the left. And so you can embed anything inside the tours, from PDFs to videos to audio, whatever. And so we're playing around with that. We've done a few um, pieces for a company here in town and uh, it's a lot of fun mixing 3d audio that's really cool and that's something all that's like new to me and again you've taught me a lot just going through post together and uh, we've talked about like different mixes and things and having worked uh, so I worked at deluxe technicolor in post-production for 10 years and I learned a lot about like 5171 you know um, extended channel mixes and then Atmos came in and all these other things but talk to the audience a little bit. You know, I, some people are savvy. They go to the theaters. They might go to an IMAX screening or they might go to a 40X screening, things that have these peripheral stuff. But binaural and some of this stuff is still new to people mm -hmm. that only maybe listens to the thing in stereo. So what is maybe the advantage of those kind of additional channels or the immersive experience? So why is some of that uh, either better for a particular project or maybe just like really cool? Well, you know, I think it's better for any project because <clears throat> it it immerses you within the project and, and you know certainly often we just want to you know netflix and chill on the couch and and watch something um but then there are times that we really want to be part of the experience like um well uh we just saw um top gun maverick last night right so that's in an atmos mix so when things are happening behind you, you hear them behind you. You know, the, the entire experience of the movie is more enhanced because sound is happening all around you just like it does in the real world. Even if the screen's in front of you, that enhancement kind of puts you into a place where not unless you take your eyes off the screen do you realize you're not involved. It's, it's 
it's taking it from a third-person experience to a first-person experience. So to me, it's, it's the next step in how we get more entertainment out of our entertainment, if you will. And then certainly for games, man, it's, I mean, if you haven't had a chance to play with an Oculus or a, or a Vive or whatever yet, that is amazing to just be surrounded by picture and sound at the same time. It's, it's remarkable. And if people haven't experienced some of these kind of... I said vibe, but it's vibe. Yes, yes. Yeah. I was like, does that sound right? But I just went with it. So for the people who haven't experienced some of this stuff, and, and again, I was lucky to work in a company that had, like, we had the first Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos Theater in LA, and some of it seems gimmicky until you experience it, and then it's almost like ruins normal theaters and TV it, for you, you know, because... I agree. It does put you... And, and I think that's something that, again, a lot of people miss is, and this is something I was taught in film school, but again, if you don't go to film school, you don't necessarily know this, the audience will excuse bad picture, but they won't excuse bad audio. And to your point Very earlier, true. like people will turn off bad audio, you know, whether it's music or anything. When you're in the theater and you do have that full experience, it literally puts you in the middle of the sound, mm -hmm. which makes you believe that flat image on the screen in front of you more. Absolutely. And so I encourage people, you know, yes, Atmos and 4DX are more expensive. You know, um, IMAX theaters are more expensive. You don't need to do that all the time. But go experience a more immersive theater at some point or a larger format screen or a more immersive audio. And then try and compare that. And especially if you're doing production to figure out like, okay, well, what experience do I want the people who interact with what I'm doing? And that's one last thing I want to talk about especially now a lot of media is all digital people are going direct to streaming people are on youtube you know people are watching movies on their phones how can someone make kind of like the biggest splash for like the least investment like is there anything that you would recommend like if people are going to do stuff on their own or should they not bother and they should save up oh, and you absolutely should bother so go crazy yeah right but the to me and granted i'm i'm biased but the easiest way to make a big splash with media that you're going to deliver on your phone or on YouTube or anything like that is to take advantage of the fact that the majority of your audience is listening on earbuds or headphones and deliver an immersive audio experience. It doesn't matter if the picture isn't immersive. As long as you put them in that space, it's more believable. And, and it's, it's more exciting and it's, it's a leg up on your competition. And it's not difficult to do. Like uh, all of the major audio software these days comes with the ability to deliver that. The Adobe suite comes with the ability to do it. Uh, DaVinci comes with the ability to do it. You know, play, play and have fun. This is the stupidly fun way to make a living. So play and have fun. The worst it's going to be is wrong. So last couple things before we wrap up. You just mentioned Adobe, DaVinci, a couple other things like that. Do you have a go-to system that you would either recommend to people or that you use? Or uh, You know, I do this for voice talent all the time. I work with them on different pieces of software. They're going to spend tons of time editing in this software. Just pick a piece of software that speaks to you and works for you and ergonomically makes sense to you. There's so many great pieces of software on the market that... No, I, I wouldn't recommend a specific one. Here at Monster, one of the partners uses a piece of software called Pro Tools, which most people have heard of. 
But I don't use Pro Tools. I use a piece of software called Nuendo by Steinberg. And I love it. I think it's amazing. It, it offers things that Pro Tools doesn't offer. And ergonomically, to me, it's just an easier piece of software to work in. And I want to spend more time being creative and less time thinking about how the software works. Again, go out and play around. Apple makes Logic Pro. That's a great piece of software. Costs 200 bucks. Does full Dolby Atmos. Um, Fairlight is a tab in DaVinci Resolve. It's free as long as you don't want to produce 4K video. And it's amazing. So, yeah, there's, there's tons of stuff. And I, too, am of the opinion... It's just like exercise or diet. Like you gotta find the one that works for you, otherwise Absolutely. you're not gonna use it. That's know? right. So yeah. great advice there. If people wanted to talk to you, hire you, see more options, like where would people go to either connect with you or you know, website, rates, uh, you know, so any we're of that stuff. Monster S is in Sam, P is in Paul dot com. Monster S P on Instagram, Facebook. I think that's about it. We probably have a TikTok account and a, we do have a LinkedIn page. But I say IG and Facebook and the website are the best spots. Now, one last thing because I led with this and I don't want it to go unsaid. So, John McClain. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. The original. The original. 1965. That movie came out in what, 86? Something so. like that. Plus, he spells it wrong. I mean, yeah. come on. M C L A N E? What is that? That's just some BS. Yeah. That's some Hollywood BS. Hollywood BS. Before we finish, do you have any final thoughts or any film notes that any you'd like anyone to know, notes. whether it's audio or otherwise? Just listen. Just listen. Listen to your stuff. Put on a pair of headphones. Listen through a microphone. It's vitally important to your media. I'm not just beating the drum here. With Without good sound, you're kind of doomed. Very true. Well, thank you, John. I'm Thanks, psyched man. that this we got a fun. chance to do this. And I'm and really in glad. the studio. Yeah, in the studio. Yeah. So if you're in Las Vegas or you're coming to Las Vegas and you have a project and you want some good audio or color or music or anything else, go to Monster Sound and Picture, monstersp.com, and let them know that you got there through Film Notes because you got to see and meet the original John McClain. <laughs> and if you come through Film Notes, we'll even give you a discount. There you go. If you want to support the show, please go to my Patreon page. All the links and info are on the screen or below in the description. And we'll see you on the next episode. And that's a cut. Well done. Nice. And open that door because it's a little hot. Hey, my okay. system's still recording. Thanks for watching. If you'd like to support the show, please click on the link below. You can also contact me at my website if you have any questions about filmmaking or anything else. Off to the side, you'll see a couple of my books, Film Notes and the Film Notes Workbook. I encourage you to check those out if you'd like to learn more about filmmaking. See you in the next episode. Scene one, Apple, take one.